Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek podcast where we talk about all things Trek. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Stargate story himself, Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad we're almost done with the holidays. You happy for the holidays to be over? Yes. I work customer service. I'm over it. Ah, point definitely taken, sir. Also there in the Raider Room Studios, we have the Trek Storian, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing? I am doing great, man. I am doing great. I'm kind of in agreement and disagreement with Jeremy about the holidays because I, too, am in the hospitality industry. But I do love the holidays. And other than that, I am sipping on a glass of blood wine, sir, of the finest vintage. Nice. Make sure you have my bottle on ice. That's all I have to say. Well, and also on the podcast, we have the Who story, Cal Jones. How are you doing? You know what? I can't say that I am sipping on anything chilled, but I am having caramel hot chocolate. So happy holidays. Glad to be here. Oh, man, you're getting all festive with your hot chocolate and stuff. So how are you, my friend? How are you? Doing well. Can't complain. Uh, we're almost out of 2020, so I guess that's a good thing, right? Uh, let's hope anyway. Yep. Here's to a better and brighter 2021. Yeah, I will raise my can of 100% apple juice ocean spray up to that. So, guys, you can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review, and telling, telling a friend. If you have a review idea, please send that in along with anything else you want us to know or to talk about to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Guys, I don't think there's any Star Trek news right now. If not, we'll go ahead and get into our review of Star Trek Discovery to call. It aired on December 24th, 2020 and was directed by Norma Bailey, who has an extensive television directorial history. The story was written by Anne Kofel Saunders, who also wrote the episode Scavengers and has an impressive resume in writing for many shows such as Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, The Boys, and even Timeless. Discovery ventures to the Verubin Nebula, where Burnham, Saru, and Culber make a shocking realization about the origin of the burn as the rest of the crew faces an unexpected threat. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. And as we always do on this show, we go to Cal Jones for the high lights, the beats of the episode. Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week? All right. So here's what I have for it. This week. You ready for this? I think so, man. What you got? All right. So, I hate to burst your bubble in the land of make-believe, but while this episode felt like all the action took place on a cluster rather than a planet, I have to say that Tilly totally killed it. Hmm. Are you implying that the episode was a cluster F? Uh, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. That's interesting to hear, you know, coming off that, you know, five star episode we have for the last two, two series arc, but we're going into this and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised your reviews there, but you know, I'm going to come back around to you for your real high level view. But first let's start with Jeremy. What is your overall opinion of this episode? I'm going to have to kind of agree with Kyle there. It was a bit of a cluster. Care to elaborate on that or? If I elaborate, it'll be spoiler filled. So um, just kind of wait. 
through the conversation of the episode. What about you, John? You know, I I watched it for the first time uh, earlier this morning. I I liked it, but I kind of get the cluster part of it somewhat. Uh, but I thought it was a good episode and shocking. Okay, okay. Well, we'll dive into that. Cal Jones, dive a little deeper, man. Tell me, what do you think of this episode, dude? I wanted to like it. I truly wanted to like it. I love some of the things that happened. I think a particular character shined in this episode, but the time that it took to build up what was going on, I just felt like the reasoning, the the whole idea of explanation of what had been built for this entire series arc, it was just a cluster feeling to me. It was like, wow, really? But there is some, but, but it does have some redeeming qualities. I did like Doug Jones's portrayal of himself as himself, uh, as the actor. I, I liked, um, Michael Burnham, some of the points and things that she had in the story. And Tilly, I will say again, killed it, loved her. And so that's some positive. But on the other part, I just didn't care for it. Hmm. And let's go ahead. We'll just go ahead and dive into spoilers. Let's just talk the whole episode. Um, I'm wondering, are your impressions more that the supposed origin of the burn was a letdown or it was just a bad episode altogether? 60% letdown, 40% bad episode. Well, let's let's just go ahead and get into it before we even get into the details. John, was the burn a letdown to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it is again goes back to one of those things where we've spent so much time through so many episodes building this up and this is what we get. Uh Jeremy, what are, what are your thoughts? Letdown or nah? Uh, oh yeah, very much a letdown. Um, I watched this episode twice, actually. I watched it last Thursday and then again today. And the first time I watched it, I absolutely hated everything about this episode. I believe I was cussing at the end of it. I watched it again today. It was better, but there, I still have so many problems with it. Yeah, for me, I will say that I did have a what the F moment when what we think the burn is was realized, you know. I really had, <laughs> is this what we have been building up to this entire season? I really was kind of let down by that. And, you know, I think there's going to be a little more, more to it that we'll talk about later once we get, you know, down into this review. But overall, when it was first presented, I really, I literally said, what the, <laughs> is this shit? it reminded me a lot of, um, and I talk about this as being one of the worst moments in Star Trek to me is the movie Star Trek Beyond when they use like the Beastie Boys to beat the swarm hive in that movie. This, it, it felt like they, that's what it felt like to me when they showed what the burn was, or at least what we think the burn is so far. It really, it really kind of missed me a little bit, but we'll, we'll get into all that. We'll get into all that. So we start the episode. We're still in this memorial scene for Jojo and, uh, Adira finally gets a visit from gray gray mentions that he is stuck and that it's not how it's supposed to be he's supposed to be connected so again that kind of has me going back to you know how does how do trills actually work 
And John, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said before that this is not how trios should work, right? They shouldn't be able to see their their past lives in such an interactive fashion. Is that correct? So from from what we know, from what was presented to us in previous trick was the only way that could happen was through a very guided ritual where they kind of separate themselves from a former host and that host has to take over the consciousness of another being and that way they can interact. So outside of that, the only other thing we seen was uh, Esri communicating with Jaron, Jaran, and he was in her head and he could, she could see him, but again, that was performed through a ritual that she could turn on and off. And maybe this is like they accidentally got there, uh, but it didn't really seem as real. You know, this seems like if they hadn't told us, like she's interacting, like he's really there. And we don't, we're not really sure if like he is really there and nobody else can see him or she just believes that. And it's really a figment of her imagination or, you know what I mean? Like, so in DS9, Esri, they kind of portrayed that guy as like, in her imagination, but she could communicate. She was communicating with herself, uh, but she just gave it a physical form in her mind. But it never was made out to be like a separate entity. Here's a little different. So I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, we have no really basis of fact to go off of here. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little puzzled on that. I'm wondering if the fact that they are human is kind of the hangup here that's causing all the issues. You know, if I had to relate it to anything, I would think. I would think that would be it. So I guess, you know, we'll get more to that, hopefully, before the season is over. <laughs> you know, hope they don't push that off the next season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where that actually goes. Well, I'm just kind of ready for it to end. I, I mean, it's not a bad, like, small story arc. But at the same time, it's taking up a <laughs> lot of time from the story. Yeah. Unless it pays off in a big way. Yeah, that's the thing I'm saying. I don't I don't think it'll actually, you know, much like the burn in some senses. <laughs> I don't know if it'll actually pay off to where we're going to be happy about it, but we'll see. We'll see. So Stamets and Adira Scan finally uh, detects a life sign on the Keith to which Saru Miss mentions that Dr. Issa was, in fact, pregnant. Now, this kind of threw me off, you know, other than dramatic tension why in the heck would Saru hold back this vital piece of information, especially when everybody else thought those burns that that Dr. Issa had were radiation based? Uh, Kyle, do you know why he would hold that back? It's, and, and it goes to my thought. I think Saru is not being a great captain in these last few episodes. And is it more into wanting to by the end of this series he admits that he's not Captain Material and Michael takes up the reins. Or does Tilly become the captain? Oh, man. Because <laughs> it feels like that. I mean, I'm not saying I want that. I'm just saying it feels like they're pushing us to think that. It does. It really does feel like they're doing through their writing. They're kind of showing a certain amount of incompetence in Saru. And I don't know how I feel about that. I especially... You know, even coming into this season from season two, I felt like he was, you know, locked on being an awesome captain. But, you know, again, once we think about these last few episodes, he's made some pretty questionable decisions. 
And, you know, I was about to say, maybe the idea is just because you have the potential, you get thrown into that situation too quick. You can't always be what you need to be. But if I wanted to go, if that's what they're thinking, then they're giving us the opposite contrast to that, whereas you have an ensign who is now looking to excel. Uh, I think we have different opinions on Tilly. <laughs> we'll get into that later. But I, I didn't I did not like her performance in this episode at all. Um, yeah, oh, wow. but but I, but I see what you're saying. We definitely can. Uh, I definitely see where you're going with that to see that they're maybe saying that Saru is overachieving. And I've even seen some posts on Reddit of people saying that maybe all Saru was ever meant to be was the best first officer ever. Because <laughs> you know? he he still would make an awesome first officer, but I, I'm not convinced that he has the... He definitely has the... He has the... Um, discipline to be a great captain but you know once you think about all the great captains we've we've seen in times past there's always another factor that's in there a certain intuition and i'm not sure if i'm not sure if saru has it so i kind of stand by a statement i made a while back and saru would do better as and maybe not even an admiral but in starfleet headquarters like like you guys are saying, he's not captain material and not saying it's a bad guy. Some people can captain a starship and some can't. Doesn't take away from his skills or his decision making per se. I just I, I feel like Saru would make a, a better admiral or something like like in leadership position in that situation, like a Starfleet command than in the field. Yeah, let's even unpack that a little bit more. I feel like and, and of course, Admiral Vance goes along with it. But I feel like even the decision for him to go on the away team to this dilithium planet, it was a bad decision, a bad decision. I can see why. Of course, you know, it's a kelp. We know it's a kelpian ship and possibly a alive kelpian on that planet. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it was just a horrible decision for him to leave the ship. The fact that Vance let him, Admiral Vance allowed him to accompany them on the away mission. Like, I expected Vance to immediately say no, or do you think that's such a good idea? But he gave no pushback at all. Yeah. Like, maybe Vance wanted to, but maybe letting him hang himself or learn or whatever the case may be. But I did see a hesitation with Vance, but he didn't say anything. Hmm. And, you know, from TNG, I mean, that was one of Riker's biggest things. Like the captain does not go on away missions like that's the first officer's job. So I have a theory. I'm wondering after watching this and specifically after the scene of what Jonathan just was talking about, I'm wondering if he's as good as we think he may be. Hmm. Because that would answer, if he was secretly working with whatever the Wicked Witch's name is, can't remember her name, Osiris. but you know what I'm talking about. Thank you. If he was working with her, then some of the questionable things that he has done would not be questionable anymore. That would make sense. Because he may be setting them up to fail. Just I hope that's not the case. But yeah, I could, I could see that. Or he's just a fraud. Like maybe he just was never... 
really suited to be an admiral and figured out a way to get there. Yeah, that could be Starfleet's in shambles and somebody needed to take leadership and he was like, hey, I'll do it. Yeah, that very well could be it, man. So they set a course for the Varuban Nebula and we finally get some what I feel are some very good visuals of discovery in action. You know, we see him go in and battle the turbulence of the nebula. Um, You know, they get in a little bit of trouble. Now, I was surprised here that the book was so gung ho to say, let me take my ship and go navigate the nebula. <laughs> that that really that really surprised me. Are you, were you guys shocked by kind of the the autom- autonomy that book had in this episode? Because he's instrumental in more than a few scenes in this episode. Well, yeah, I find it kind of he wants to be part of the, part of the ship, part of Starfleet. And he still kind of goes off and I guess not necessarily does his own thing, but. It just seems out of character for what he wants to do. Any comments, John? I don't. I mean, I'm not shocked by it. I'm. I'm still kind of going with the giddy childlike mentality he has. Just like he's so intent on impressing Saru and the and the crew that like he's just jumping at these opportunities. And it, it's almost like I don't know. I, just keep going like childlike, like he's not thinking about the consequences. He's just like, this is my only purpose in life to please the discovery. And he goes like, and like Jeremy said, that's completely out of character for the book that we were introduced to. Yeah. It's kind of becoming where, Oh, discovery is in trouble. Let's go get book ship. <laughs> you know? right. Sort of like in power Rangers, what they always call the Megazord, you know? He's, oh God! He's, he's always a trump card to get out of these situations. I'm like, eh, is this going to be the case every time? You know, book, get your little ship. You know, I think they're kind of pin, the writers are kind of pinning a lot on that ship because it's such an interesting ship. And don't get me wrong. I love to see the ship in action. Uh, but like you say, they're making it very obvious that like they want you to focus on this ship for some reason. And maybe maybe that'll pay off like everything else we're hoping to pay off in the end. Yeah. So Book's ship is able to navigate the nebula. We find that there is a massive dilithium supply within the nebula, you know, a planet made of dilithium. They also discover breathable atmosphere within the planet. So after, again, conferring with Admiral Vance, Rue chooses to join the away team with Burnham and Colbert, leaving Ensign Tilly to take the con. So I'll go back to Cal with this. What are your thoughts on the decision to put Tilly in control of Discovery? Oh, I enjoyed it. And I think, and I know you disagree, but th- that was one of the highlights of the the entire episode was her standoff between, you know, Osira. I still want to call her the Wicked Witch, so I'm going to call her Wicked Witch. Between the Wicked Witch and Tilly. And that's why I said she killed it because she was becoming Captain Killy. So I enjoyed it. But but re- removed from that altercation, was it a smart idea to put this ensign in control of the ship? When you oh, absolutely pr- not. You very totally likely not. would not have contact with her at all while you're on this planet in all likelihood. I just and, and like we said before, advance is like, OK, make it happen. <laughs> just- and again, my theory, think if he's bad, it makes perfect sense. Right. How else to leave them unprepared and, you know, destined to be a sitting target than to put someone with no experience in in charge? 
And they did ask the question, how did Osara track us here? How did she know we were here? And that she knew they were there. And in defense of the Tilly decision, like in that situation, Saru or none of the crew expect that anybody that could threaten them would be there. Like who would be there? So like really leaving Tilly in charge, the only responsibility they expect her to have is to bring the ship back in to get them in four hours. Like how hard can that be? Fair enough. But still, you know, I, I think if I would have thought of this in normal star starship terms, usually you would think that she would be able to have the con in during a night shift, you know, or, or like they would do on on TNG and on Voyager or whatever. Like the night shift comes in, the 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 ensign sometimes has the con, you know. It, it seemed like she would have already had that opportunity, so it shouldn't have been such a big idea here, I would think. But they definitely play it up like it's her first time ever commanding the ship. Well, technically, they're never out on a prolonged mission, so she wouldn't really have a chance to do the night shift. You know what I mean? They're usually just docked at Starfleet headquarters. Yeah, but I don't know. I've seen Harry Kim take take the con plenty of times. Yeah, but that's because Voyager was on a 72-year-long mission. Like, they, they couldn't just take the night off. I guess. Like, Discovery is out for a mission that lasts for a few hours, maybe the better part of the day, and then they come back. There is no other ship. I mean, I guess she could command the ship while it's in while it's docked, but, yeah. I mean, that would be pointless. No, I see what you're saying. They're kind of... Um, always at Starfleet command. That makes sense. And plus, you know, after she, she just got promoted and we went straight into this episode. So I guess it does make sense in that aspect. But I, I have to agree with Kyle. I, I think she killed it. I like, I liked it. That I think to me as well, that was a highlight of this episode. Cause I, I really expected her to crash. <laughs> but didn't like, she though? I ex- didn't she well, though? She did. But I expected <laughs> like, you know, when Asara started trying to get to her emotionally, like that was the point. I was like, "Oh boy, this is Tilly. She's gonna get in her feelings. She's gonna cry. It's gonna all break down." But I mean, she handled it fairly well. I mean, especially. But did she no, I think she did. Come on, she I got think she boarded totally and the ship got taken. She did not do good. Okay, okay, oh, 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 okay. So if you're if you're rating a captain on your ship getting boarded. I'll go you one step further. Yes, the ship got taken. I could name a certain captain that has a lot of reference that not only did your ship get boarded, you got taken and you got totally borged out. Yeah, like Jeremy said, the Kazon. I mean, the Kazon, which, I mean, they're really just a dumb species. Yeah. They, like, took Voyager, dropped the crew off on this barren planet and took off. God, I just don't feel like Osiris that calculated, but I guess she did. She had the the te- tentacle things to capture the ship. Yeah, and I think she would have got it if Saru was in command. I think she would have got it if Burnham was in command. I, I agree. I think she's the ship was hers to take. It was hers to lose. The only difference is, I think if Burnham would have been in that chair, it would have been a firefight long before. Burnham would have rammed him head on. Yeah. Yeah, and to maybe support you guys' theory of maybe Osiris is working with Vance. I was weirded out that Osira had Federation response codes and uh, a, a, a Federation distress frequency as well. That all seemed a little too convenient. 
Yeah, that did. That was weird. Well, when she said, what is that you guys say before you jump? Like, I thought she was going to say black alert. Like, that would have put the icing on the cake. Like, there's no way you should know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. They. I'm wondering how they knew that. I guess Stamets was in the spore chamber, but how they really know that Stamets is the key to the spore drive. I guess they saw that when they jumped on it, but they did have a head contraption ready for Stamets. So I think somebody has to be either, either that device that book installed to send a communication or to, to interact with the kid has some technology that is specific to the Emerald chain that allows them to tap into it or, Ren could be, he could be feeding them some information, man. Cause, cause they know a little too much. And we're looking for a payoff for, uh, Adira's boyfriend. Like, maybe, I mean, he just randomly showed up in this episode. Mm. Permission to amend my previous, well, not amend it, but add to my previous, um, hypothesis. Okay. So what if next? Episodes. So we've only got two episodes left. Next episode, they will come out and find that that device that has that that book put in there has been transmitting data. So the admiral is the one that finds it, and because I think the admiral had some objections. That's one of the only things that he's objected to. So the entire episode they frame. And make it look like Book had turned on them when actuality, they find out in the last episode that it was the Admiral. Interesting. And, and, and I guess the good thing about what's going on now, I have no idea what they're going to do. <laughs> whatsoever. Which I guess that makes it fun. But I don't know. I will say I, enjoy, I really enjoyed the whole Tilly sequence. Her having commandership, even though it did get boarded and she was a horrible captain. I did enjoy that whole sequence. I thought it was really good. She was not a horrible captain. <laughs> she was horrible, man. I'm sorry. Okay, it's a really stupid for putting her in charge. Okay, I'm not even getting boarded. What did she do wrong? Uh, I wouldn't say she was a horrible captain, but she was grossly inexperienced for the position that she was given right then. I don't see any other things she could have done better. I didn't even like the 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 talk back the 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 pitter patter between them two. I was like, oh, come on, really? Is that what we're doing right now? <sighs> the only thing I could think that she, well, I guess they were waiting for the shields to get back to a certain level, was to jump away. But she has, I, that's I, the reason she couldn't because she was waiting for the shields to get back. Like I honestly do not see a scenario that she that she could have come out better like even with saru sitting there i don't see a way this would have ended any differently yeah why does she need the shields charge to jump away i don't get that either she could jump she couldn't jump in the nebula again but she could have jumped away and then jumped back but i guess when she got ready to do that she got boarded so i don't know It, it it was a fun sequence don't get me wrong i'm just being nitpicky here Hey, and let's talk about the little, uh, I guess I'll call it Easter egg, but not really. Uh, Discovery has a cloaking device. Yeah, that was, I guess it's part of the retrofit. Yeah, that is amazing. Like when you go back to DS9, like the Federation, there's a, there's a rule in the Federation charters and they cannot use cloaking devices in Federation space. 
I did not know that. Romulan Accords, I believe. Yeah, the Romulan Accords. That may have been what it was. On DS9, that was kind of a big thing. They needed a cloaking device to go into the uh, Gamma Quadrant, but they could only use it in the Gamma Quadrant. They couldn't use it in Alpha Quadrant because of the Romulan Accords and all that. But I guess since Romulans are now combined with Vulcan, maybe that eased. So let's 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 go ahead and um, I think we've covered that arc pretty thoroughly. Let's get back to the Verubin Nebula and the away team, which has a total of four hours to complete their mission. So immediate, immediately upon entry, things start to look a bit off. And I previously proposed that they were going undercover, but I was completely wrong on this. Lo and behold, something is very different when they get on the ship. So thoughts on the hollow twist we get when our way team beams down to the Kiev. And I actually want to hear from Kyle first because he you pretty much stated you hated this part of the show. So just what are your thoughts on the hollow twist and the different look of our crew once we get on the planet? Why? Not asking you why, but literally asking the story why is there there were different types of beings that I looked at, especially uh, whenever they had the group. So, wow, this is a fragile being that they're about to encounter. Just saying. So uh, I get I liked seeing the characters look different. I liked seeing Doug Jones be Doug Jones playing Saru, not him and his Saru, you know, playing Saru. But for eh, it. I don't know. I, it, it felt like somebody thought that that would be a cool thing to do and did it. It didn't, to me, serve anything for the story. Yeah, if they were already human and the hollow projections were human, why do we need to make them something else? I didn't understand that. Right. And if Sukal is Kelpian, why do we have to change the way Doug Jones looks? I don't. Yes, and you already have another Kelpian look on there so it's not like it's should you know scare him that just uh, it just nah unless they were trying to put them into a certain program that was already running that's the only way i could see it making any sense you know we got these new bodies let's put them into this program that's already running to look a certain way i guess i could see that if i stretch it a little bit but otherwise it 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 was it kind of made no sense but it was cool to see Cool to see, yeah. Do we know who the actor was that was playing the Kelpian? His name is Bill Irwin. He's one of those people that you've seen in a lot, but you wouldn't know his name. I kind of thought, first glance, I thought, well, maybe they put Doug Jones in this because he's playing the Kelpian on the planet. Because they almost seem similar. Bill Irwin is a prosthetic actor, too. He does that as well. He's not... Probably not as famous as like Doug Jones or Andy Serkis, but he he does it does it as well. Hmm. I, I I agree. It was it I, it was pointless. It kind of confused me, and then their explanation of it was equally as pointless. Other than just the writers wanting to let the actors do something different. Yeah, I mean, it was cool to see that you know that different character play. Not really character play, but different look that you get oftentimes when they go on a holodeck. You get to see them be just a little bit different. I thought that was cool, especially in Doug Jones's case. I thought it was really, really cool. But, you know, again, once we think of like, how does it make sense in the context of the story? I don't really get it. 
So I, I definitely agree with you guys on that point. It would have been better if they had explained it as just kind of the program itself doing it just because that's what it did. Like anybody that went into the program, like got put into character some form of way. So a compliment to Doug Jones, though, he pulls off Saru so well and the Saru prosthetic makeup and everything that he has to do on every single episode. He does that, in my opinion, so well that he looked and felt out of place and odd as his true the way he really looks self. So compliment for him to pull off that so freaking well. The the Ready Room, I think uh, Doug Jones was on it. And no, Doug Jones was on the Ready Room and he was talking about, you know, the hair piece that he had to have because he's normally shaved bald to be Saru. Uh, and some of the mannerisms he tried to inject into his human form to still make it feel like we were seeing Saru on screen. You know, even by the way he walked, he tried to simulate as he did in his Saru makeup and Saru costume. So, yeah, I think I think Doug Jones was freaking amazing in this. And, you know, story reasons aside, it was still cool to see a human Doug Jones in this. And apparently he was very happy (laughs) to do it because he could actually go to the bathroom himself and, (laughs) you know, go eat a bagel on a break during the filming of this. So, I mean, I'm happy for him in that aspect. And didn't have to sit in makeup and wardrobe for eight hours. Yep. Yeah, I was surprised Osiris makeup takes four hours to do. And that is really, really shocking. Yeah. What he need is a can of spray paint. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be water-based, though. <laughs> uh, apparently she wears a bit of a prosthetic on her face and she does, you know, the, the hair and the paint and all that. So, so yes, yeah, I guess it was a very intense process. Hmm. So you guys already, we, I guess we talked a bit about the justification for them to be these different characters or different look a little bit different in this program. What did you guys think of the Federation training programs themselves? They kind of spurred the adventure along. Uh, personally for me, I feel like it may have been, now, I realize we're 900 years in the future, but I think it it would have been a cool opportunity for them to, like, show us some, you know, TNG era nostalgia in some of these training programs. Oh, that would have been awesome. I was really expecting that, man. That would have been freaking awesome. And and maybe the thing in this episode that besides the actual call, what we think the cause of the burn is, the thing that made me not maddest, not most upset, but it was discouraging is that they called this freaking 125-year-old man the child. And that was just a reason to use the child, the same thing that the Mandalorian uses for Baby Yoda or Grogu, whatever you want to call him. It really got on my nerves. It irked me. You know, I didn't connect that at first, but you're right. It really irked me. Yeah, I connected it. Same. The only reason I connected it, though, was because you told me that there was something that they did that I would catch. when. And whenever I heard it, I was like, really? Yeah, it's. So do we know they did that for that purpose? I mean, probably. I mean, it's too on the nose, man. I mean, Baby Yoda has been like the hottest ticket in sci-fi for the last two years. It may have been a coincidence, but man, I don't know. A little too on the nose there. Well, the force was not strong in that one. I'll just say that. Hey, he caused the burn. It was very strong. 
I didn't say dilithium wasn't strong. I said the force wasn't strong. <laughs> Listen, when we go on to talk about scientifically possible and plausible, like that's the problem I have with this what caused the burn. Like that, I, you, I know it's fiction and I don't expect <laughs> everything to be plausible, but come on, it's Star Trek. Some, most of the time, 99.99999% of the time, anything that they present on Trek is plausible. Maybe not now, maybe in the future, or maybe even a distant future. You mean like time travel? But, well, the Vulcan <laughs> Science Director it has proven that, anyway, I'm not gonna, that's the Paul's thing on time travel. Uh, well, actually, they have proven time travel somewhat. Like, we'll, we'll go into the whole rabbit hole with that, with interdimensional time travel and all that. They've been experimenting with that. Uh, but this whole caused the burn, like he caused the burn from like an outburst, and because his body has adjusted to the radiation, it. Re- I, I don't even know how they explained it. A radioactive Kelvin hissing that. Right, that causes the burn. Like you destroyed the dilithium in the galaxy, but not the dilithium on that planet. planet. He's on, but not yeah, and not the dilithium on the planet. So from that point of view, I can see that if he was born on this planet. You can make the argue, argument as, you know, I guess it's more of a mutation thing or something you see on a superhero comic book or something that maybe the being born in that radioactive environment may have caused him to have different powers, per se. So and I can be OK with that if it affected ships on the planet near him. But I don't care how much superpower you have. You're not effect, affecting every work capable ship in the quadrant. You're basically sitting on an unlimited power source. You're on a dilithium planet, unlimited power source there. You're on an unlimited power source to destroy the power source. And the power source wasn't destroyed. Yeah. uh, I think Jeremy hit on it. I, I really think Jeremy hit on something there because when he had the tantrum or whatever it was that the baby had, did, did the tantrum, why, why didn't the if why didn't the tantrum if it's going to to vibrate and destroy all these ships all over the quadrant why didn't it just blow up the planet that he was on so it didn't blow up all dilithium it blew up dilithium in a ship running with an active warp core so by that definition it would would not have blown up the planet right because the dilithium is inert until it reacts with a matter antimatter explosion which is what a warp core is. See that right there, you guys telling me that makes the explanation even harder to make sense. How so? Because I was seeing it based on me watching it, I was seeing it as baby threw a tantrum, baby screamed, all and he vibrated all the vibranium or whatever the crappy stuff is or whatever, and it goes <laughs> boom. I'm I'm sorry, uh, let me say this. I'm sorry if I'm sounding negative, but this was just so freaking unbelievable to me. It just kind of took me out of the entire season. Oh no, se- it was dumb. Season. It was dumb. It was dumb. We, we I agree with you on Let me let me play devil's advocate on that. I still have a problem with him having the power to affect things so far off. Now, how he affects it is plausible because dilithium is just basically crystals. They're crystals that are stored inside the warp core, and those crystals pretty much regulate that matter-antimatter reaction. That, that's what they do. If those crystals are out of frequency or those crystals are not quite right, that reaction 
is volatile, fatally bad. So if he could vibrate all of the crystals that are in active, that's active war course, which means these crystals are currently interacting with matter and antimatter. If he could vibrate all of those crystals, then yeah, I can see those ships being destroyed. It's just my problem is how can he affect those crystals that far out? But again, he's sitting on an unlimited power source in the dilithium itself. But the dilithium is not necessarily a power source. It just regulates the power you get from a matter-antimatter reaction. But maybe he has, I think even Colbert said he may have some symbiosis with the dilithium itself because he was born there in such a radioactive environment. Possibly. So then the reaction went through the planet. The planet amplified it. Yeah, sort of like, you know, Hulk and his gamma radiation or something. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. All right, so let me say this. And Clarence, I think you said at the beginning, or one of you guys said at the beginning, was this a bad story or was it a bad writing? And I may be paraphrasing or paraspeaking there, but let me think for a moment that it might be bad writing. And the only reason I say that is I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk, and I'm thinking of two stories in Doctor Who particularly. There's one where a character tells a story around the globe for an entire year, and on the same moment, at the same time, everybody on the planet does something to do something else. And I was there. I bought it. It was good. The other one is somebody tells one person a story, and then years later, they bring somebody else back to reality. I was there. I bought it. I was for it. So those, in a way, are less plausible than the dilithium and all of the things that are going on here. So maybe it's just a, the way they explained it was badly written. Yeah. And, and and let me say this. I don't think we've gotten the full story on what caused the burn quite yet. So let me take a step back and say we know that the child has been there 125 years, three months, 17 days, four hours. That's a long time. That guy did not look that old. Granted, we don't know what the lifespan of the Kelpian is. I will say that. And we get this scene where Burnham conf- confronts this beast. And I think that's going to be our key that we're not really seeing. Is the beast a part of the program or is the child the beast? We, we know there's one life sign on the planet. We're assuming that Sakal is the life sign. We don't know that for sure. I posit that it could be the beast. And I've heard theories of this floating around on Reddit as well. He's at the same spot of Sukal when that charge bursts from him that makes everything vibrate. So we don't, I mean, they don't have their uh, truck orders or their bad, their comm badges. We don't know if Sukal is in fact the child. The child could be the beast. Mm, interesting. Good point. Yeah. And think about that. Well, Sakal could actually be a program. Because when when Saru goes into the chamber and he talks to the older Kelpian hollow hologram about what actually about this whole ritual of of well, first he talks about what Sakal means, beloved give symbolize the end of suffering. And we get that this hollow environment was created to raise and prepare Sakal. Again, we're assuming Sakal is the Kelpian in here. But if you look at that image, it shows the beast, which I guess the beast is a representation. I'm, I'm assuming is a representation of the Bayul is what I'm kind of getting at. Did that, did that ring true with you guys as well? 
because Bayou was mentioned. I wonder if the beast can be an evolution of the Bayou. And we don't really know the relationship of Kelpians and Bayul at this time, 900 years in the future. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure they're living in harmony, quote unquote, at this point. Could it be that they're even interspecies at this point? <laughs> I don't know. I just think there's more to the beast uh, that we're going to get in the next episode. Yeah, because they spent a lot of time with like these interactions between Burnham and the beast, especially at the beginning where she kind of put the rock down and looked like she was going to communicate with it and reveal something. And it went into attack mode. Yeah. And if you look at that very last scene where uh, Sakal runs off and the beast kind of goes off too, there's like a moment where they freeze on the beast looking at Burnham before it like cuts away. I'm like, there's probably something to that. So I'm not Hmm. convinced that Sakal is actual child. If there's one life sign on this whole planet, do we think it would be so called after 125 years of living on this planet alone? I don't know. And would he have even looked like that? Yeah. Is it? Pl- I mean, what's the lifespan of a Kelpian? Saru doesn't know. Saru is used to them dying out of the Vaharai. Right. Which, and didn't they mention in that episode, like, wasn't he like 15 or something? Yeah. They they mentioned that the at the time he left the planet, his dad was the, old, the oldest Kelpian he's seen. But uh, and when they got in that little chamber, he saw this old one here. He's like, this, this is the oldest one I've ever seen in my life. We never lived this long, you know? Like, I'm trying to get, I want to know if they put ever put a number, like, on age so we could know. Like, are they, you know, like Kiss on Voyager. Like, Kiss developed rapidly, but she was only, like, five years old. Huh. Like, I don't know. Does a 125-year-old Kelpian still look young? Because a 125-year-old Vulcan would still look young. Uh, Speaking of the child, isn't the child on the Mandalorian 50 years old and is a baby? Yeah. Oh, man. They they ripped that. (laughs) They totally Mm. ripped that. And, you know, they could just still be wrong about the burn. Yeah. We got, what, two episodes left? Yep. Hmm. Yeah, I wish I had an age for how long Kepians live, but I can't find anything. Did a quick Google search. Yeah, I think we kind of packed it. I'm trying to think of anything else in this episode that really jumped out at me that we need to talk about. And I think that's really it. Uh, I think the, re- the thing I really wanted to point out was that, you know, about this theory that the, the beast is actually the child. You know, and I'm just kind of disappointed in Saru in this episode. It seemed like much of the episode, it was... Culber and Burnham really telling Saru what to do because he was really out of it for some reason. And you know, he's acting like he hadn't seen his species in a hundred and nine hundred years. Well, really, it's only been what a few months. Yeah, but maybe the fact for him that his species is even still around is part of his surprise. A part of what what has him that they're a member of the Federation. You know, we hear that the Federation is going to their aid because Asara went to attack them. You know, all of that is probably such a shock to him in such a short time. You know, you know, the beginning of the season two, his people were still being consumed by the Bayou, you know, so it's definitely a lot for him to get accustomed to. Oh, and one other thing on my theory on the child is there was a point when they were when when Stamets was on the ship was on Discovery and something came over the comms when they were trying to call. He was trying to call uh, uh, Dr. Culber 
And it was a noise that sounded a lot like the monster. Right. And that kind of shocked me too. I'm like, eh, that's that's a little too weird. <laughs> well, they did have, he did say they were going to have open comm link to him. So I'm sure he was just hearing what they were hearing. Yeah, that could be true. That could be true. But why make that a point? But I guess sad suspense. Let's go around a horn and, and get a final rating from everybody uh, on this episode. And let's start with you, Jeremy. What did, what did you think of this episode, man? So it's not, it's well known that I hate holodeck episodes. And this is very clearly a holodeck episode. The Tilly Asira bit was really good. The holodeck episode was not. So I'm going to give it about a three. All right. What about you, John? Man, it was a higher writing coming into this until we started discussing it. <laughs> I still have to give high marks for Tilly's performance here. Uh, you know, I know not everybody agrees, but I really did like her performance. I appreciated her time to shine. Uh, so that was good. Um, and believe it or not, I liked the ending. It kind of left a little bit of cliffhanger that I'm intrigued by. However, I disagree with the cause of the burn, if that is indeed a cause of the burn. And I love holodeck episodes, but they made a mess of this one. All of that put together, I'm going to give it probably a 3.75. All right. What about you, Cal Jones? So I'm going to take everything. So just anybody listening, rewind for about 30 seconds, re-listen to what Jonathan just said up until the point of 3.75. And I'm going to amend that and only give it a 3.12. What? Wow. <laughs> so, I don't know where that came from, but uh, 3.12. Does this episode have problems? Yes, it does. It really does. Some of the logic, and I think part of the logic that is puzzling us is that we're going to get it in the next episode. Uh, I feel like, you know, we haven't gotten the complete story of what the burn is. I loved all of the hollow deck stuff is our first real discovery hollow deck episode. And for that alone, I'm going to give it, you know, I, I'll give it a, at least one star for that up in the right direction for that. So really love that. I did not like the Tilly stuff. I feel like Saru made some very questionable decisions by putting her in the driver's seat at this point. It, it just, it, it, you know, I felt that the whole speech with, with Burnham talking about the notch on the captain's seat. I thought that was all touching and poignant and awesome. I really love that. But ultimately she lost the ship and I, and I know it happens to the best of them. <laughs> and I really, I really do know that it happens to the best of them, but I really, I mean, no, no knock to Mary Wiseman. I really just didn't like how she was written in this episode. And maybe that's to in order to get a good payoff in the next one. So I guess I'll reserve judgment for that. But I'm going to give it a 4.5. Wow. I, I, I had fun with this episode. I really enjoyed it. The only thing that got me was Tilly and the actual explanation. The explanation had me really scratching my head. But once I dove in a little bit more and said, said to myself that that probably not the real explanation uh i had to you know take my score up just a little bit because i think we're going to get more on what that actually means now if we get to the next episode and they give me a horrible explanation i might amend this like cal does so often in the opposite direction and maybe not over with you guys quite honestly but we will see 
You're keeping it optimistic. I'm, I, I can I can go with that. No, I think I really enjoy. I mean, I enjoyed the episode even more the second time. I really did. And just some of the I thought some of the visuals were fantastic. This is the most beautiful episode I think we've had of Discovery. Uh, all this stuff on this disjointed dilithium planet. I thought all those visuals were cool. We get a little bit of Federation, a very, very little smidget of Federation history in some of these hollow projection programs. You know, we get to see what the suits used to look like. You know, the design there was all great. We get this, um, you know, castle-esque scene of them walking over this floating bridge to get to this other part of the hollow deck. So I thought visually the episode looked fantastic. Everything in the nebula was freaking awesome. We got to see Discovery in action. We got to see it cloak. Uh, it's a lot of high points in this episode. I think we're just hung up on the burn itself, which fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it was stupid, if that's the reason. All right. I feel like I ran it for a minute there. So let's just go around the horn and see what everybody has been working on podcast-related or later. otherwise. Jonathan, what about you, man? Same as always, not working on much other than work. I am just watching a bit of Tube and... Of course, watching The Expanse, the latest episode was freaking amazing. Probably the best one yet. So you definitely should check that out. And I'm going through Enterprise again. I'm on episode seven of season two. And I remember why I love this series so much. So definitely should check out Enterprise. All right. What about you, Jeremy? Um, Okay. Same, just work. And, um, you know, by this time next week, I'll probably have watched all of Cobra Kai season three because that comes out Friday. Um, they just, I'm just catching up on my blacklist now. Awesome show there, man. Love that show. Kyle Jones, what about you? You know what? I'll, since everybody's talking about what they're watching, I'll not break from that and say that in the last week, I have binged all four seasons of a show called The Good Place. And I'm two episodes away from the finale. So oh, thoroughly wow. enjoyed that. I've seen the first six or seven episodes. I kind of fell off of it. Um, I'm not really a comedy person anyway. Is it a comedy? It's, yeah, it's... A, it, it gets wacky. It got wacky it, when it, I kind of saw yeah, it. Yeah, wa- and it gets wackier. But I will say that I found the characters, especially after the end of this first season into the second season, they really became endearing and it was just something I could easily watch. And it was only 13 episodes a season. So it it was a quick, easy and honestly pretty enjoyable watch. Yeah. I, I may jump back on it. Cause I really, I really love the characters. That's kind of the reason I was watching in the first place. Uh, Kristen Bell. She's awesome. So I, I was really into it. So I might, I might pick it back up. Let me just say that there is a twist at the end of the first season. Huh. They're not so. in heaven. They're in, I don't know. Mm. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. <laughs> you may be right. It oh. is the good place. Huh. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. What about you? What are you watching or otherwise? Oh, man. I've been watching The Expanse as well. Uh, catching up on the newest season. I'm really enjoying that. I haven't caught the latest episode but i've des- definitely been jo- enjoying it so far i've also been watching his dark materials on hbo max loving this current season they're really expanding this storyline 
and the characters are freaking amazing. So yeah, I suggest those two things, uh, Expanse on Amazon Prime and as well as His Dark Materials on HBO Max. So both of those are great. And that's going to be it, guys. Uh, once again, thank you for joining in. You can send us feedback into fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Thanks for joining. Until next time, guys. No longer prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. just not the same for you after Tony Stark's endgame snap? Are you desperately looking forward to the Snyder Cut to regain your love for the Justice League? Disappointed by the return of Skywalker? And how angry are you about Star Trek killing Picard only to reanimate him in a golem? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need help. And I'm here to give it to you. I'm Tasha Pierce, host of After the Snap podcast. Every Sunday, join me as I present reasons for you to fall in love again with sci-fi. After the Snap, virtual group therapy for all of sci-fi's depressing moments. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are served. Discussing Network. Commander's Log Supplemental. More than 120 years after it happened, we finally found the source of the burn. All those theories, all those what-ifs. It wasn't an attack on the Federation at all. We still have so many questions and we need answers, but right now, the priority has to be getting back onto Discovery. It's the only way we can protect the Federation. The only way we have any hope of saving our captain. And you, Adira. Time is not on our side, but with so much at stake, failure is not an option. Whatever it takes, we will find a way. We have.